Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Rivers Church. Most of you would have learned about Aesop's fables at school and heard of the author Aesop, is well known and world famous. One of the things Aesop said that most of us would know is a short phrase that goes like this familiarity breeds contempt. How many of you know the phrase? Most of us do. Familiarity doesn't only breed contempt or make us reduce things when we become used to them. Familiarity is also dangerous. When you get used to things, we lessen them and we lessen their danger. And familiarity is an extremely dangerous thing, especially in the life of a Christian. I was reading about a company, they're a cleaning company in the United States in Alabama, and uh, they're called top-notch cleaners. And uh, they clean facilities at night when the people aren't there. When a company's closed, they go in and they do industrial cleaning. On one occasion, they were working, two workers were working during the night, and they were cleaning with a machine that used propane gas. When the caretaker came in in the morning, he smelled gas, and when he opened the doors, he found both of the workers dead on the floor. He then called the police who came in, and when the police came a while later, they smelled gas. And they said the reason the workers hadn't smelt the gas is because they had worked with propane gas for so long that they'd become familiar with the smell of something dangerous, so familiar that it eventually killed them. Do you know that it not only takes the edge off things, but familiarity can damage you. Familiarity spoils everything. And do you know when you become familiar with something, it makes you discontent because it's, oh, I'm used to that. I was reading about uh, this entrepreneur called Andrew Griffiths. He's an author and he has a blog. And he was talking about familiarity with customers, how dangerous it is when, when you're a salesperson and you become familiar with your customers. And he said this, I want to quote him. He said, it's great to develop a friendly relationship with your customers, but there definitely have to be boundaries. Over-familiarity can vary from annoying to downright scary. You meet people once, and they act as if they are your best friend. Now, as a pastor, I tend to do that in the foyer because I'm meant to love you. But how many of you know when you go to a restaurant and a waiter treats you like your old pal, puts his arm on you, how are you today? What do you think of the rugby? You're like, excuse me? How many of you know it's inappropriate? Because we haven't got to know each other. It's different if you go there regularly. But if you go there regularly, familiarity can be a problem. And he goes on to say this. He says, I used to dine at a particular restaurant on a regular basis. They offered good food at good prices. And the atmosphere was excellent for conducting business meetings over a meal. Over time, the staff, who were normally excellent, started to become far too familiar at inappropriate times. He said, I was discussing a new project with a prospective client. There were papers all over the table, and we were talking quite intensely when the head waiter came over with a, with a glass of wine in his hand. He sat down at our table and began to complain about how bad business was. What was worse, he wouldn't leave. And the meeting ended in disaster. How many know it's great when people know you and you get good service from them, but when it moves into familiarity, it damages the relationship. 
And familiarity is always a bad thing because it takes the edge off our lives. I want to speak to you this morning about overcoming familiarity. Overcoming familiarity. And in a moment, we will look at six areas that we need to overcome familiarity in. And I want to give you the definition of familiarity just to remind you, because this is what happens to wonderful things when this one thing, familiarity, when it creeps in, it damages everything. And the definition is this, it makes the exceptional ordinary. The wonderful commonplace and the anointed routine. How many of you know this can happen at church? Can happen in the family? Can happen in business? Ever bought a new car and been so in love with it you kept going outside to look at it? Not people here because you're all spiritual. <laughs> and everywhere you go, you, you, you press the button and then you turn back and you, then you walk on again. But after a couple of months, the thing feels bumpy. It's underpowered. And you start looking at the next model up. It's familiarity that's crept in. You know, and sometimes what we need is a bit of distance from the thing in order to renew our appreciation. Because discontent seeps in and the wonderful things that God gives us can lose their glamour. Familiarity is something just like margin. You have to fight for it. It doesn't just happen. And you have to tell yourself, I'm becoming over familiar. Lord, refresh me. Give me a fresh perspective. So let's look at the first area where we can become over familiar and where familiarity can damage us is the familiarity of blessings. When God blesses you and you get so used to the blessings, they start to become ordinary and mundane. God gives you wonderful things. You end up living with, and most of us, living with luxury. But it becomes so ordinary because you're familiar with it. Isn't that true? I often travel overseas, and just before I go, I feel, gee, my car needs a service. It's a bit sluggish. But when I've been away for three weeks and I come back, I realize the V8 is a brute. But the problem is you get used to it. And so you stop appreciating. Why? Because of familiarity. So how do we deal with it? Well, we have to look to Scripture. And if you look at Scripture, you'll see that even the children of Israel, they got blessings from heaven, but they became familiar with them. The Bible says that God gave them manna in the wilderness. It was so amazing. Psalm, the psalmist says it's the food of angels. It was amazing that they said, what is this? That's what it is in Hebrew. Mana, they said, what is this? And it was so amazing that Moses said, you need to take some of this and you need to put it inside the Ark of the Covenant with Aaron's rod and the tablets of the Ten Commandments so that we never forget this, this heavenly food that came out of the, for 40 years, God fed them. They never had to lack. But guess what happened to them? They became overfamiliar with the blessing of heaven. And I want us to read here, because this is not atypical of us. Uh, uh, there have been times in my life when, when, you, get, when you get into something that, that you used to get into a motor car, and this is the stupid car. I've done that with Pastor Vilma's BMW, and I've had to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> because it's different to my car, you know, and to get into it, and the button that you start, it's in the wrong place, and when you, 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 you want to use the gear shift, but it's the, it's the windscreen wipers, and then you, the stupid car. And I have to stop and go, hang on a minute. This is an incredible blessing. We're incredibly privileged to own a car like this. 
And you have to take yourself back because you're being ungrateful to something. It's something God gave you. And we see here in Numbers chapter 11, it says, And the people of Israel also wept again. They were always crying. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Now, you're stupid. It didn't cost you nothing. You were a slave. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. My gosh, you're fed from heaven, but now the blessing has become ordinary. Why? Familiarity crept in. So what's the answer to familiarity? I think we need to be grateful to God on a daily basis. We need to step back and look at everything with fresh eyes. You need to look at your motor car, your home, your possessions, your clothing, everything you have, especially if money's tight, you need to step back and look at it with a fresh appreciation. We've got a wonderful lounge suite that um, we bought some, uh, in fact, it was given to us some years ago by a designer, and it is very unique. It's still in perfect condition, but I've got so used to it, and I'm, sometimes I think this house needs sprucing up. But every time we have visitors, they say, wow, where did you get this? And I'm like, yeah, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> because you get a fresh perspective. Because if you're not careful, everything loses its glamour. And the miserableness sets in with the very things that God has blessed you with. And the world is designed to make us discontent. So we've got to decide. It's an attitude shift that we've got to have. Historian... Uh, Arthur Schlesinger said this, he said, our society is marked by inextinguishable discontent. That's why there's fashion, so that you get restless all the time. But we've got to have a content, and we've got to step back from our positions and say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've blessed me with. You see, the problem, church, is that we're so motivated, looking ahead and looking up, that we forget to count our blessings. How many of you remember that song? You may be old enough to have sung it. I was a young Christian. We sang, count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Why will it surprise you? Because familiarity dulls the edge of God's blessings. And most of us in South Africa are motivated to climb the ladder. We're meant to move forward. Isn't that true? So we're always looking up at the next best thing. We're progressing. I'm trusting you, Lord, for the double portion. That home that we're trusting for. That car, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for that blessing. Thank you for travel. Thank you for your favor. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, I'm trust. I'm believing. Lord, I'm giving it miracle offering. And I'm... I won't go any further. But what we do is we forget to look down the ladder and to remember how far we've come, what He's given us. God has given us so much. So we need to turn around sometimes and say, hey, I'm going to count my blessings and I'm going to name them one by one. And I'm going to be surprised at what the Lord has done. I suggest you go home today and look at everything in your house, even the damaged things in your house, and thank God at least you've got something. We watched the video today of a home that we built for a young man, one room, 
and the awe on his face. Some of us don't even have that kind of awe for the mansions we live in. All we see is the faults, isn't that true? We see the cracks. We see the old tiles that are so three years ago. It's time we looked at everything and said, thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and grace. I once read a story of a man who was very unhappy with his home. And God had blessed him with the home. He had trusted God for the home. But he started moaning and complaining about the house and finding all sorts of fault with it. So he said, you know what? I'm going to sell this house. So he called in an estate agent. And he said to the estate agent, I want to sell the house. The agent said, fine. Walked around the whole house, made notes. Then the agent called him and said, the advert for your house is in the newspaper. You know, in those days, they used to put in the newspaper. And so he opened the newspaper and he read. And you know when an estate agent sells a house that you're not happy with? Ideal location, near schools, renovator's dream, huge potential, space for everyone, perfect garden. He read it, he said, I want to live there. <laughs> and he canceled the sale of his house. Sometimes we need someone else to give us a fresh perspective because familiarity has dulled the edge of blessing. A man called Tierney Giron said this. He said, even in the familiar, there can be surprise and wonder. Go home and look at your home, look at your things, and in the familiar, if you change your attitude, there can be surprise and wonder. The next area I want us to look at is familiarity in marriage. You see, because when we become familiar with people, it always damages our relationships. Have you noticed that? When you're dating, it's like, oh my, I can't wait. I want you. Do you want me? Yes, I do. Don't touch me. I want to honor the Lord. Oh, but I can't help myself. Is it wrong if we do this? Is it wrong if we do that? No one will know. And then when we marry, I want to kill you. The devil sent you. What happens to us? A thing called familiarity. Let me just add, that's why it's so important before you get married to take time to do what's called examination, not dating. Too many go dating, starry-eyed. No, you need to go on an examination. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you know, marriage, if, if you're not careful, the most beautiful woman can become ugly. The most wonderful man can become unkind. You can start to view a long marriage as a boring, monotonous thing. Or if you look at it with good eyes and fresh eyes, you can say, I've had one person who loves me unconditionally, has been faithful to me, has stuck by me and been loyal to me. It's all a matter of perspective. And let me just remind you, when you go to work and there's that man there who's got on Tom Ford and he, he wafts... because he's unfamiliar. Bring him home and let him leave the toilet door open. You will change your mind. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? You see, we've got to guard against familiarity in marriage, and we've got to keep looking at our partners and finding the gold in them rather than the faults, because it's natural to find the faults. I was reading about this marriage expert, Paul Friedman. He's the author and founder of what's called the Marriage Foundation. 
And he talks about the three silent killers of marriage. He says they're like viruses. You don't even know they're there, but they kill the marriage. And the first one, the number one, he says, is over-familiarity. And he says this, I want to quote him. Over-familiarity is when you think you are close enough to your spouse to excuse you doing things that are obnoxious while not allowing those things to be done to you, like breaking wind. You might, <laughs> you might, you might call over-familiarity a kind of entitlement when one partner believes he or she has earned a free pass and has the right to do certain things. Example, shouting, criticizing, ignoring, teasing, being openly grumpy, be crude, nagging, complaining, leaving the toilet door open. The list goes on. And he says, unhappy partners often complain, I wish my husband or wife would act the way he or she did while we were dating. And he says, it's not so much the, you know, the, the meals and the candlelight dinners and the gifts. He says, it's when you're dating, there's respect. But after you get married, respect diminishes because we see faults instead of fruit. And he goes on to say, I would bet that over-familiarity is the killer of over 80% of marriages that end in divorce. Nobody wants to feel disrespected. Everyone wants to feel honored. It's tragic. You see it around the world. You see it in the lives of leaders, pastors, celebrities. How many of you remember the group Sonny and Sher? A great duo split up acrimoniously. Some of you are too young to remember a group called Captain and Tennille. They had gold hits in the 70s. Some of you are like, who are they? They're dinosaurs. Yeah, they had five gold and platinum records. And they had a famous song, your love will keep us together. Yep. <laughs> Nonetheless, 39 years of marriage, she decides to divorce him. Why? What did he do that was so wrong? He developed a tremor because Parkinson's was coming on. So after 39 years, instead of sticking with him, she said he couldn't even play the keyboard anymore, and he didn't know how to show her affection. Well, he's got Parkinson's. So she divorced him. He died on his own in 2019. She went on to write a book, Tony Tennille, about her life. And in the book, she speaks unflatteringly about him. Why did she have to do that? Because she became so familiar, she no longer saw the good 39 years of successful partnership. You need to have a fresh look at your husband, a fresh look at your wife. In fact, if you're sitting with him now, look at them now. So what's the answer? Well, the Bible has the answer for everything. Isn't that true? It says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 33, he says, so again I say, in other words, if you didn't listen, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. It's not a feeling or a suggestion, it's a decision. But wait, ladies, and the wife must respect her husband. You see, sometimes when there's no, you know, the Bible tells us we must love our wives, but the wife is only told to respect her husband. You know, if a man doesn't get respect, he won't love you. It becomes a vicious circle. But both of you have to at least respect each other. It's a command. And you need to treat each other like you would treat a stranger. It's amazing how we treat strangers, eh? Sorry, so sorry, excuse me. Uh, can I squeeze into the lift? When you're at home, you're in my way, you're in my way. Get you always, when, <laughs> we're in the kitchen, and, and I'm trying to get into the drawer. But strangers, excuse me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Familiarity breeds. 
So let's as husbands and wives make a decision. And I speak to you from experience. 47 years of marriage, you have to look at your wife and find the good things, find the qualities, and things to admire, not the things to criticize. And then you take familiarity away and gratitude comes. Number three, is this helping anyone this morning? Familiarity with leadership. All of us have leadership in our lives, either in business, if we belong to the church, we have leadership in the church, senior pastors, pastors, campus pastors, connection shepherds, connect group leaders, department heads, volunteer department heads. We've got to respect, and we've got bosses at work, managers at work, and familiarity is something that creeps in. How I many you know when you start to work at a new company, you, you, there's a different attitude, eh? You, you go there and you, yes. Would you mail so-and-so? Yes. But after three months, it's like, will you mail so-and-so? No, I won't. They don't answer my mails. Because <laughs> you've got to know the ropes. And what happens with leadership here is an interesting thing. We admire people. Then when we get to know them, we see their flaws, so we bring them down to our level. I actually had a lady in the foyer once say to me, yeah, I don't have any respect for them. they just like us. They go to the toilet like us. You see, her crudeness was meant to reduce the person's position to her level and for her to be justified in saying, I won't listen to him. But God puts a call and a mantle on any leader, whether secular or spiritual. Bible tells us that in Romans. Are you with me? And we've got to be very careful, especially when we get close to people, especially when they family. Do you know what the word family comes from? It comes from the Latin word familia. You say, oh, we get used to each other. No, no. Do you know what the word in Latin actually means? Servants of one another. Because when you stop serving one another in a family, that's when the whole family breaks down. Uh, you, I'm not doing that. You think I, oh, and, and, and you always say, I'm gonna, no, no. If you keep serving, you reduce familiarity. You treat that person with dignity, even if they don't treat you with dignity. Now Moses had this problem with his sister. His sister was the one who put him in the bulrushes. Now Moses is this great leader. He's dividing the sea, but she says, hey, I know you. I grew up with you in Durban. <laughs> Isn't that how it works, church? Numbers chapter 12, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. She was black because he had married a Cushite. Now watch what they say. They don't speak about his wife. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? I love this little phrase, and the Lord heard this. You see, what happens to us is we admire someone, then we see their choices or their flaws, and we then bring them down to our level. Is God using him or he's also using me? A lot of churches suffer because people don't respect the leader. Hey, it's just one of us, my brew. They pride themselves in calling their pastor Andre. See, what they do is they reduce him down to their level. Guess what? No longer can they receive anointing now long can they receive the word of the Lord because he's just one of us. You have to be careful you don't look at your leaders, especially pastors, and their choices, their choice of clothes, their choice of car, things that are not necessarily sinful, but that you, you, they cause you to become familiar. They look amazing on the stage. They look amazing on TV. But I met him in the foyer. He's shorter than he looks on stage. <laughs> People often say that to me. 
see, it's, it, it's not a case of us wanting to be elevated. It's just not good for you. You suffer and you stop receiving from God. Am I making sense today? See, so this is a very important principle, especially when it comes to the uh, people around you, the people you work with, your boss. Don't look at his car. Don't look at the things he gets wrong. Don't look at him when he gets angry. Oh, he's not a Christian. And you know, he uses the F word. Stop looking past that. He's the designated responsible. He's the one appointed. And if you do what God says, like Joseph did under Pharaoh, God will make sure you get ahead. But if you try and pull him down, doesn't help you. Are you with me? And Moses' family looked for trivial things. It wasn't against the law for him to marry a black woman. He was free to choose. He didn't have to choose an Israelite wife. They, they saw that choice as something sinful, and it wasn't sinful. They were offended when they shouldn't have been offended. Are you with me? Even the great apostle Paul, who saw the Lord in a vision, was pulled down by the Corinthians. Why? They got too familiar with him. Let me read it to you. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, this is what he had heard the Corinthians saying. He says, for some say, in other words, about me, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person is unimpressive. I've seen him in the foyer. And his speaking amounts to nothing. Nothing? The man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and saw Jesus visually. But that's what familiarity will do to the great anointed to the powerful mentor in your life, to the business leader who, who's coaching you. No, no, keep them in that place and don't allow the line to be crossed. You will be the one who suffers and it won't be for your benefit. What's the answer here? Well, it's very simple. George Sand said, admiration and familiarity are strangers. You stop admiring someone when you become too familiar. And we've got to make the decision to go back and say, okay, I'm going back over that line. I'm going to admire them. I'm not going to disrespect them. I'm going to honor them. Notice this verse quickly here in 1 Timothy 5 in the complete Jewish Bible. It says the leaders who lead well, I'd like to think they're leaders in every area, business, politics, church, should be considered worthy of double honor. It doesn't mean double pay. It means, means honor with mouth and with money. You pay them well and you speak well of them. Can I, can I just pause here? I think we've got to be very careful in South Africa that we don't criticize everything we see on television. Because there are some politicians who are integrous. But if we throw everyone in the same lot, we will see nothing good in anyone. And eventually we are a rebellious society. We all know better. We know when we can drive, even when the robot's red. We know a four-way stop when the power's out. We're just going to drive because I'm better than you and I don't care. And the cops can't do anything to me. And we start disrespecting everyone. And then it creeps into your work, creeps into your spiritual life. And we are the poorer for it, not them. Are you with me? And so the Bible says here that we should be careful of this and we should honor people, otherwise it will limit the anointing. I believe a lot of churches, the anointing is limited in them, especially smaller churches, because they treat the pastor as one of their buddies instead of respecting him as a leader, taking them somewhere and a man of God. That's my personal opinion. Number four, there is familiarity in friendships. Like any living thing, friendships need nurturing and protecting. Sadly, you know what I've discovered? We take our closest friends for granted. Those closest to you who are good people, we don't give any attention to. We always pay attention to the drama queens, the ones who need our help, the ones who are always in trouble. It's like the prodigal. 
The prodigal son goes away, spends half the inheritance, lives with prostitutes, gets drunk, sleeps with pigs. When he gets home, he gets the welcome. And the older brother, who's always there, can always be depended on, who never did anything wrong, gets taken for granted. It's time we started to recognize that our friends are valuable in our lives and that we treat them with respect. Hmm? Problem is, when you get to know your friends, you start to see the worst in them instead of the best in them. Hmm? And we need, to, we need to take a fresh look. I want to encourage you. Stop and list all the qualities of your friends. Maybe write them down on a piece of paper. And some of you are very good at doing this. Tell them, you know what, you're faithful, you're honest, you're kind, you're available, you're generous, you're hospitable, you're loyal despite my faults. You're a servant, you're genuine, you're always positive. Say thank you. Give them something when it's not their birthday. Honor them, praise them in front of others. And phone them when you don't need them. Because some people, when they phone you, are like, yes, what you want? I got a puncture. Oh, okay. You should don't want money. How many of you got friends? Don't put your hand up. But let's elevate our friends because we put them in a place of honor and we remove familiarity. Sometimes those kind of friends, if you don't look after them, they walk out on your life. Number five, are you still with me? And we've got six things here this morning. Familiarity in the workplace. I think most people start off well in the workplace, but then after a couple of years, they become so familiar, they give less and less and less while expecting more and more and more from their employers. Because they get to know the boss, the management, and those over them, and they let familiarity spoil the relationship. It's gone very quiet in here. Some of you are wondering, does he know about me? <laughs> How many of you can agree this morning? We have to be very careful of that. But if you're a leader or a manager in this building this morning, and there are many business people on our campuses, is I want to encourage you because you know what can happen? You can start to not take notice of the people who work for you. You can take them for granted. Brilliant people who don't earn a lot of money, who give you their very best, who stay late, and you never say thank you. Oh, but it's their job. No, I know it's their job. But you need to be careful because you become so familiar, in the end you don't appreciate them. It's good to show kindness. Give them a gift. Say thank you. On a text message, say thank you. I try and do that in the busyness of life. I've got a brilliant PA, Mona, sitting right here. It's like she does anything and everything for us. Runs around, makes inquiries, freezes up to do ministry. But I like to say every now and again, thank you. I appreciate you. It's just a little thing. Because otherwise it's so, well, she gets paid to do that. No. It needs to be more than that. And you know, Laban, in the book of Genesis, did this with Jacob. He didn't appreciate Jacob. Even though Jacob turned his struggling business into a thriving business, Laban didn't appreciate it. He treated Jacob badly. And you know what happens when you treat staff badly? They leave you. I want to tell you, if you've got a domestic worker, treat her with respect. We get annoyed with all those who work under us as those over us get annoyed with us. You forgot that, oh, I'm sorry. Why didn't you do that? I asked you, oh, I didn't remember. But don't let it be something that, that leads to a disrespect where you're no good, you're useless, you've got no brain in your head. And you start to go there, and then suddenly they walk out and you, oh, she just left. No, she didn't just leave, you've been stupid. Now, Jacob says this, and I want to read this to you because we need to examine ourselves. 
Jacob snapped one day and he said to Laban, I've been with you for 20 years now, Genesis 31. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me. You didn't even have aircon in the office in the daytime and the cold at night and sleep fred from my eyes. It was like this for 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks and you changed my wages 10 times. Laban did not understand the contribution this man was making. Laban thought he was really a clever businessman. He switched and he conned and he cut back and he, I got him to work for nothing and he worked overtime and I didn't pay him. He thought he was clever. Jacob was out of there, gone. And Jacob became a competitor. Who's in your company or in your business that you don't treat well that could become a competitor? And then you moan, oh, they went off and started. It's because you didn't value them. You let familiarity take the edge of what they were doing. So what's the answer? I think if you're working at a company, this is what you need to do if you've become familiar. You need to work as unto the Lord because there'll be no perfect boss. If you work at Rivers Church, you're not working for God. You're working for people. So you need to work as unto the Lord, not even as unto Pastor Andre and Wilma because that's a lower level. And when you go to work, you need to work as unto the Lord. The book of Colossians tells us to that. tells us that because from the Lord, we will receive a reward. And then if you've got people under you, that you've, you've become familiar with them and you don't appreciate them, you need to change your attitude. And Laban changed his attitude. In Genesis 30, I want to read it to you. And you need to do this with your domestic workers, nannies, volunteers, employees. It says, but Laban said to Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will pay them. See, he changed the wages but now he realizes what he's done. It's up to us to change our attitude. Can you say amen? Number six, and the last one, but probably the most important one, familiarity with the things of God. We get so used to the things of God that we start to take them for granted. Church services, communion, the word of God. We get away with misbehaving, sinning, and then we think, oh, well, the Lord's grace is sufficient. But we become familiar with holy things. And Eli, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, served in the tabernacle with his sons, bringing the sacrifices. And they became so familiar. They took the best port. Bring, bring here. Bring the money here. It's mine. I'm going to use this. I want to buy a car. And you see pastors and leaders doing that in churches. They take this for me, and this is for my bodyguards, and this is for my, for my auntie, and that's for my, I'm going to, up, and it's for a second house down at the coast, and Ferrari and Bentley, and then the church can sit on plastic seats. That's familiarity with the things of God. And you know what God did? He struck down, he killed Eli, struck, him down, struck his family down, and Eli fell down dead. We've got to be careful because we live in this, oh, his grace is sufficient. No, 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 it ain't sufficient. It is, but it isn't. You know what I'm saying? We live by grace, but let's not leave out the other verses of the Bible. It's like trying to sit at a three-legged table. No, no, there's a fourth leg, and it's called holiness. And when you become too familiar, you forget about holiness. Notice this, 1 Peter 1, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. In other words, that which you felt was right. 
But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Wait, it gets worse. Hebrews 12. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We got to be careful that things of God don't just become, ah, oh, Yana, church, oh, Rivers Church, I used to go there. Yana, Andre, yeah, him and Vilma from Cape Town. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know Jesus went to his hometown and the Bible says that when he began to preach in Matthew's gospel, it says, isn't this, he's just a carpenter. And the scripture says he couldn't do any mighty works because of it. The apostle Paul suffered the same fate. People treated him badly. And the Corinthian church not only treated Paul badly, they became familiar with church. They started to bring wine to church. In one corner, there were people eating lamb and pita and wine. On the other side were sitting people who didn't even have bread for the week. And the apostle Paul writes to them, and I want to read this to you as we move to a close, 1 Corinthians 11. Are you all with me? So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So church can become a social event instead of coming realizing, God, speak to me. Be very careful of that. Otherwise, are you going to church? Yeah, Sunday morning. And in the back of your mind, it's not, oh, God, speak to me. It's like, I wonder if that chick's going to be there. Yeah, she usually goes to second service. Yeah, I think I'll be in the second service. Now, you've got to be careful that familiarity... You'll stop hearing from God. Paul writes to them, and I love the message translation. It's a paraphrase, I should say, not a translation. The message, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25, he says, what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. See, what's the answer, church? We need to have a hunger and thirst for God. We need to constantly be revived. We need to lean in. We need to come early and say, God, would you speak to me? When the songs are difficult, we mustn't stand. I don't like this one. Don't know why they do this one every week. Now, for how long are they going to do this one? No, no, no. People do it. Come on. Or you lean in, you make notes, you take pictures. Why? There's an attitude that takes away the familiarity and God's able to revive you. And Bible says if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. If you draw near to God, it says in James, he'll draw near to you. And as you lean in and you're grateful and you're thankful and you change your attitude and you humble yourself and you honor the Lord, guess what? Suddenly everything becomes fresh and your first love comes back. Otherwise, you become discontented, ungrateful, and familiarity is that one thing that spoils everything. Have you been helped this morning? So I come to a close, I'm going to hand back to Pastor Chris and Kailami. How many of you saw the movie or in 2004 or since 2004 called 50 First Dates? Interesting movie, Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. She has short-term memory loss. So every time they go on a date, they have a great time, the next day she forgets. Then she meets him and he's like, who are you? So guess what? He becomes the, the man of her dreams. And she can't remember anything he did wrong. So it becomes the perfect, perfect scenario. Because he can say stuff and the next day she's forgotten. Some of the husbands are like, oh, Lord, give me a wife like that. 
But the wonderful thing about the movie is this. Because they're able to see each other through fresh eyes every day, the relationship works, and the relationship is wonderful. And you know what? God wants us to have that with Him, where it's like every time we come to church, it's the first date. The Bible says in Revelation, you've restored your first love. And we need to trust Him for that in our lives. And we need to lean in and say, Lord, would you give me a freshness? You know, this morning in the room, I'm sure many of you, yeah, would, would agree, there's some area of your life where you feel familiarity has dulled the edge. How many of you would agree that? Oh, it's just about everyone in the room, eh? Well, let me pray for you. Put your hand up quickly. Father, I pray in the area that we have our hand raised this morning, would you bring a freshness, Lord? If it's in marriage, work, things we own, things we possess, friendships, the workplace, our walk with you, would you bring just a fresh touch? Help us to see the ordinary as amazing. Like when we see a sunset, we go, wow, instead of, oh, I've seen so many. Bring a freshness, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.